Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, all alone here today. Our guests this week are Drs. John and Julie Gottman. They are relationship experts, gurus, if you will. If you don't know who they are, I think you've been living under a rock because they are some of the most famous relationship psychologists out there. Uh, we'll be discussing their newest book, Eight Dates, which are eight conversation topics, eight topics that will guide and recenter your relationship, get you going on the same path with your partner for relationship satisfaction, get you pointed in the same life direction. These are They are actually really excellent ways of getting on the same page. So if you are in a new relationship and you want to know if, if, it's, if it can stand the test of time, if you've been in a relationship for a long time and you're looking to get out of a rut, these conversations, each one of these eight dates and eight topics will help you get out of that rut, help you be better at expressing yourself and your needs. Uh, a, a little warning. Uh, first off, this is one of our longest interviews ever, and I kept it long and didn't edit it because if you need to hear this, if you're the kind of person that needs to hear this information about your relationship and about how to improve your relationship, I didn't want to cut anything out that might help you. So yes, it is one of our longest, but we think all of the information in it is useful for you, and uh, that's why we left it long, and I really hope that you guys enjoy that. I would also like to say that we do acknowledge the existence and the importance of physical intimacy in a relationship. We don't get graphic or explicit, but we do talk about it a little bit. So if you are someone who is easily triggered by that, or if you are someone, if you're around somebody who is unaware of physical intimacy in romantic relationships, then uh, this may not be the podcast for you. Again, nothing graphic, nothing explicit, just uh, just a little bit of, a, of an awareness and an acknowledgement of its importance and role in relationships. So you'll hear that a little bit later on. Uh, just want a fair warning. But first, before we get to the interview, you may think that white lies are no big deal. Oh, no, you look great. Oh, I love your cooking, that they're harmless, that they, we just tell them to make other people feel better. But according to research in the journal Nature Neuroscience, there is a problem with white lies. They can lead to big, fat lies, big, fat, dark lies. The journal researchers believe the more white lies we tell, the more comfortable we become with lying overall with the little, oh, I think your cooking's phenomenal. No, I don't think your sister's more successful than you. You look great in that dress. Those little fibs, they become more harmful lies down the road. We just become desensitized. Uh, our brain becomes desensitized to the feelings of guilt and shame that we normally would have over lying. So we just become more relaxed about deception in general. Beware. The white lies, they turn into big lies. All right, here, without further ado, there's your little bit of intelligence for the day. Here is our interview with doctors John and Julie Gottman. John and Julie Gottman, thank you guys. Doctors Gottman, I should say. Thank you guys so much for being with us today on Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. We really appreciate it. It's great to be here, Gil. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Gil. Okay, so you guys have a new book, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. I want to talk mostly about that. You guys have written a slew of books, um, but I, but obviously the new one is why we're here to talk about it. Uh, what made you guys, before we even get into what the eight dates are, what made you guys realize that these were things that people needed to talk about? Well, you know, I think it all started with uh, the matching websites. Uh, websites that match up couples and believe that those couples are really going to sail off into the sunset having a beautiful relationship. And most of them don't, actually. I think 96% of them uh, fail in terms of really... Is that right? 96%? Yep. 
seriously in terms of reaching commitment? Yeah. So, um, for example, OkCupid makes 50,000 matches. And of them, 200 people go on to like each other and have a relationship. (laughs) So it's, it's pretty bad. The algorithm for matching is basically wrong. I mean, so, do, you, do you think it's, it's you don't think it's any better than like two human beings seeing each other on the street? Uh, the it's algorithm? actually worse. It's worse. It's worse. Wow. wow. <laughs> As a matter of fact. So, you know, a lot of people out there have myths about uh, what's going to make a good relationship. And they think it takes uh, having a lot of things in common, for example, um, issues uh, that they see eye to eye on. And the reality is that's not really true. Mm. Um, we are more attracted to differences. Uh, and there's been research that has shown that. And so what we really wanted to do in this book is to create a way for couples to talk about the bigger issues, the more important things that we found through our research are really key in building a long lasting loving relationship it's not having things in common it's instead being able to talk well about bigger issues to dive deep to open up and be more vulnerable to one another successfully Hmm. so so more so than just filling out a profile and hoping for for the numbers game to play itself out is this is this vulnerability i would say so yes well part of what we did was we we devised these dates so that they wouldn't be sort of these superficial, tense, uh, uncomfortable dates that you see on YouTube, right. which are basically disasters. Um, so they would get really the couple to ask some really important questions of one another. And then we tried it out with 300 couples and they recorded our dates. So we listened to 2,400 dates. Wow. And, that sounds you know, boring. And- I'm not going to lie. I- <laughs> Well, it's fun for me. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. We had, you know, gay couples, lesbian couples, heterosexual couples, and 37% were new relationships, brand new relationships, but 63% were long-term relationships. Mm. And, and these conversations actually deepened their connections and kind of rekindled their interest in one another and curiosity in one another. Okay, so but so these these obviously these are these are designed again to your point to create that kind of intimacy, to right. create that kind of of well I guess I guess that 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 rawness that that I mean the metaphor of nakedness uh, in a way that that what our online personas don't don't convey. So is this meant to be your first eight dates, or is this meant to be okay? We like each other. If we want to see if this goes to the next level, we should do these eight, eight, eight dates. Or we've been married for 20 years, we should do these eight dates. Who, who needs to be doing these? Um, I say both, actually. Um, it's not date number one, but it might begin around date number three or four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say, give that people have to be unsafe in the sense of exposing things they don't want to expose or mm-hmm. they're ready to expose. Um, but instead, you know, they're talking, for example, about their own family history regarding particular topics, their own belief systems, their own values, their own needs. Um, and those things, I mean, they can parse out in terms of what they're comfortable sharing with their partner, mm-hmm. the dating, um, and 
in addition to that, folks who've been together for 20 years who have had like five minutes a week to talk because right. they're raising 17 children and have three jobs between <laughs> them. Yeah. Um, right. They um, really lose touch with each other. That's what we've seen a lot with couples in this busy uh country we have here. So those folks can catch up with each other. Who are you now? Mm-hmm. Who have you become over time? <laughs> Which right? is such a, it's such a strange thing. I mean, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And it actually sounds like a breath of fresh air, but what a strange thing to have to ask your life partner, to have to ask this person that you spend every day with, <laughs> right. like, who are you that lives in my house? <laughs> well, you know, right. there, there was a study done recently uh, at UCLA and by the Sloan Center where they put microphones and cameras in the homes of 30 dual career couples Mm -hmm. with young children. And they found that in the average evening, uh, partners spend less than 10% of their time in the same room and talk to each other only about 35 minutes a week. And most of that conversation is about their very long to-do list. Who's going to do what, when. So they're kind of neglecting the relationship, Mm. neglecting intimacy. And why, why do you think, why is communication lacking and why is it important? I mean, what, what is wrong with having a to-do list and that being your main communication? Well, people I mean, I have some opinions about that. I, I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I just want to, I want to hear from you guys, the experts. Well, I think what happens is that people wind up really focusing on the career and children and they ignore the relationship and wind up living their lives in parallel. Mm-hmm. Kind of like two railroad tracks running side by side, but never touching. Mm. So they get lonely. Wow, that is a depressing metaphor. Really yeah, right. Um, I, you know, I think the reason that we seek mates and we want to commit to a lifetime is that we are pack animals, Gib. We mm-hmm. are humans who need each other, who depend on each other. Uh, and connection is something that feeds us. It's like food. You know, for example, if uh, you remember those orphanage studies that took place after World War I, um, when babies were well-fed, taken care of in terms of staying dry and warm, but they weren't held, they weren't connected with, they died. They literally died. The reason they called it was failure to thrive. But the reality is that they were not being connected with in the way that humans need that. Mm. We too need that as grown-ups. We never outgrow that. So as humans, we need to connect with other individuals deeply at a heart level, at a soul level, uh, because that helps us feel alone. That helps us face the the vagaries of life together, the ups and downs of life. It helps us to celebrate our triumphs, to ride through our defeats. We need somebody there who understands us and can support us. Yeah, very naturally, we, we change and grow over time. And if we don't actually work on and practice connection and communication, we grow apart over time mm-hmm. rather than growing together. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and, and it, like you said, that it creates this very uh, sort of dark and scary thing where you have this person that you love or that you loved in, in, intently at one point. And then, right. and then life just gets in the way. And now you, ha- you are these parallel lines that literally never intersect. That's uh, right. So in this book, we're trying to rekindle curiosity. Which, which is great. Okay. So let's get to it. Uh, we've, 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 we've teased it enough. What are what are the eight dates? 
Okay, well, so the first date is on trust and commitment. And that wound up being our most exciting date where people start out saying, so how did your parents show each other that they were trustworthy uh, and committed? Or how did they fail to do that? Wow. What's the story in your family? And what does it mean for us, for the two of us? What? How can I uh, make you feel that you can trust me more or that I'm really committed to you? So that, that date wound up being probably our most powerful date emotionally. Right. And the reason, I think, again, comes back to that deep need for connection. And connection is built on trust. You cannot have connection with another person if, you know, the threads connecting you are really frayed and Mm. they can break at any time. Uh, It's like a safety net, right? That's what trust is. That's what commitment is. And, you know, imagine if you're uh, on a trapeze and your safety net below you uh, has a bunch of holes in it. That's not going to (laughs) work. No. (laughs) So, so. Nice. um, Again, again, with the amazing metaphors, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Well, you know, and each state is kind of a seed for something you can build after the date as well. Right. Right. Well, and that's and that's what I mean. The, the the really nice thing about what you guys have structured here is that these are really conversation starters that become bespoke elements of your relationship with your partner, whether that's a new relationship or an old one, uh, or a mature one. The these become the scaffolding on which you actually build mm-hmm. your your own personal relationship. Right. Okay. So date number one is how do you show trust and commitment? What does that look like? How does that fail? And 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 I think you brought up a great point too about this idea that um, what we saw modeled for us directly influences how we view the subconscious indicators of trust and commitment, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that that's going to get you going on date number one, which is an intense date. Uh, date number two. <laughs> what is the what is the conversation for that? It gets even more intense. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm scared. I'm scared. I know. Oh, it's okay. It'll be okay. Trust us, Gib. <laughs> they really are fun. <laughs> okay. So the second one is uh, about conflict, and it's not about okay. Let's have a fight now. Um, what it's about is what are your preferred ways to deal with issues when you have a disagreement. Mm-hmm. How do you want to handle disagreements? Uh, Do you want to shout about them? Did your parents shout about them? Is that your preferred way of talking? Um, Do you want things to be calm? Do you want things to be rational? Um, What kinds of issues uh, are you concerned about in which there could be conflict? Um, But really, it's about what is your style, uh, your preferred style of talking about disagreements? Mm Right. And we offer some very simple blueprints that can make uh, any style really function better. Like one of the blueprints is postpone persuasion until each person can state their partner's point of view to their partner's satisfaction. Yeah. So have understanding precede problem solving. I've heard that as as drive through communication. Um, uh, well, I, I don't know if you know the, the Smallies. I know it's a competing, uh, uh, relationship institute, but the Smallies have this thing called drive through communication where you pretend that one of you is making an order and the other person works at the drive through and you say your order, you say, this is what's bothering me. And then the other person doesn't get to add to the order. They just have to say it back to you in their own words. 
So, uh-huh. um, and then yeah. and then you can confirm or disconfirm whether or not they understand it. And that is the beginning of any argument is you do this drive through communication right. so that, like you said, you're both on the same page about, okay, where is the hurt? Where is the frustration? And, right. and, and before I can even interject my own feelings about how unbelievably irrational your pain might be, I have to understand <laughs> it first. Right. Right. And because we're from Seattle, we would call that the Starbucks model. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And then, and then That's they spell your name incorrectly on the cup. Ah, yes, exactly. That's right. All right, so, so, you, so you get on the same page. Uh, that's the most important part to the beginning of, of conflict. But, but really, this is about being explicit and investigating your own conflict styles. Yes. And your own needs. Yeah. Right. And uh, we also give methods of making talking about conflicts more gentle and more calm so that people are not just discussing the how they like to do it, but also the ways that have been proven uh, to be very effective in doing it. Mm. And, and so, so like, uh, so give me, give me some more examples. Cause I'm, I'm thinking my, my, on my, uh, my family's Italian. And, no and so there's a lot of, <laughs> so the, the shout, the, the big emotional elements are, are, we're just, just loud when I'm with that side of my family, it's a very loud time. And that, uh-huh. in, that includes both signs of affection and, um, and signs of disagreement. And sometimes our affection can look to outsiders like angry disagreement. So um, it's almost as if if you're not yelling, it's not a shot. You're not showing that you care enough. And they almost <laughs> want you to yell in how you approach your disagreements. Uh, listen, did you know that Italians and Jews were deeply related? Um, <laughs> yeah, because... I did 23 and me. I find out I'm like uh, point, 1.3% Ashkenazi Jew. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's the part that yells. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, we we call argument Jewish love. So uh, in any event, um, so one of the things that is a very interesting uh, tip, I guess, that we saw in the couples in our lab, in our research, who had really beautiful conflict management is that um, not only would they do, as the Smallies call it, the drive-through method, mm-hmm. uh, but also um, they would take the time where one person would ask the other person deepening questions to understand the other person's point of view at a much deeper level. Things like, uh, is there some background or childhood history in your position on this issue? Or what is your ideal dream? What would this look like if you could have it any way you wanted it to be? Mm. Or uh, is there an underlying purpose to your point of view about this? Mm. So um, we take it deeper. We take it existential. We take it historical. Um, And what we have found that these couples taught us, we are not the gurus here, they are, uh, is that by understanding at a much deeper level the underpinnings to somebody's position on an issue, it softens uh, the edges around the conflict and allows compassion to come in. So that makes compromise much more uh, available and easy. Yeah, we've actually found that um, 87% of the couples in our workshops with these six questions that we have in the book, uh, make a breakthrough in in conflict that has been gridlocked for years. Wow. Wow. And so you guys are such psychologists, you got to get to the root of why you're feeling the way that you're feeling in order order to really unlock it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like conflict about money, for example, almost always is about the meaning of money and the history of money in your life and your family's life going mm -hmm. back generations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I analyzed over 900 conversations that were conflicts about money. And I wrote down a hundred meanings and I stopped at a hundred, <laughs> you know, and, and money can really mean, uh, power, confidence, love, affection, uh, justice in the world, all kinds of things. And when people get down to these meanings of money, then, you know, creating a budget is just arithmetic. It's just logic. Right. You want more money coming in than going out. But where people get stuck is on these existential questions. What is, what does money mean to you? And how do we want to spend it? How do we want to be safe and save it? And things like that. Mm -hmm. And what is it a means for? Right. You know, the other piece of this, Gib, um, which is really a beautiful thing, is that we discovered uh, through working not only with folks who were, you know, middle class or upper middle class, but also with people in deep poverty. We did a big mm -hmm. program on that. Um, is that everybody is a philosopher, no matter what education they have, no matter what their career trajectory is, everyone is a philosopher. Right. And because of that, every person, when you ask them these questions, generates answers. They have answers to these questions, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful thing. And so nobody why, is as shallow as, as they seem. <laughs> That's another way of saying. Um, and so um, we have found these questions so effective because it gives people an opportunity uh, to dive deep, to reflect, to think themselves about these questions, which a lot of people enjoy, and then to share that with their partner. That's, and I think, I think, I think you hit on something that's just fundamental there, right? Is, is I, I actually think that some of these questions, you say they're philosophers, but I think a lot of us don't even think about our why until we stop and are asked by our partner or we're mm -hmm. confronted with mm -hmm. some conflict with our partner that needs to be worked out. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, there's that 35 minutes a week of, you know, uh, talking to your partner that UCLA found. Um, That's crazy. 35 minutes a week. It's crazy. I know. It really is crazy. But the neat thing, too, about the book is that um, for many of the chapters, we ask partners to reflect on particular questions and topics uh, in their own minds before mm. coming to the date. Yeah. So they have a chance to really think about things and then answer questions like these with their partner in the date. If you're a slow processor, that's really fun. That's really fundamental. <laughs> right. Right. And then after the day, we really talk about ways of affirming the relationship so yeah. that it's a really romantic and constructive as well. Yeah, that's what that was going to be. I mean, we have we have uh, what, what do you have? We have six more dates to get through here. But but uh, that was going to be one of my follow up questions is that this doesn't sound this sounds like couples counseling, not like a date. How, how do you make this? Uh, these slightly, I, I know that that emotional intimacy is important, but so is having right. fun together. How do you, what, what is your number one advice for making these eight conversations fun? Well, um, we actually, for every single date, we have created also, um, ideas and suggestions for ways to make it fun, mm. where to have the date, um, what kinds of activities can accompany the date. Uh, so that the dates are not just 
you know, really serious, deep conversations all the time. They can also be really fun and active and uh, as well as intimate. Yeah. And and that is uh, okay. I mean, that's I think that that's the important part. That's why you need guys need to get the book is because you got to see how to keep these dates fun. Okay, so date number date number one is trust and commitment assumptions. Date number two is arguing assumptions uh, or or arguing methods. And then and date number three uh, is maybe the one I'm most interested in. There it is. There he goes. He's excited about this. Right. So um, sex and intimacy uh, is a very cool date and you can have that, you know, on a rooftop. If it's not too cold, you can have that at the beach. You can have that in the bedroom. Um, so this is a date about, uh, your feelings about sex. What do you like in terms of sex? Um, how do you like to initiate sex? I mean, there's all kinds of fun questions in this chapter to talk with one another mm. about. Right. Um, as long as you feel safe doing so. You know, I want to really say that strongly because, especially early on in a relationship, you know, depending upon your background, there may be some folks who are not comfortable sharing details that intimate. Um, and that's perfectly fine. You can only talk about what you're comfortable with. Um, but, uh, for those, especially who've been together a long time or folks who are very comfortable from the beginning, um, it's really fun to discuss this topic as you can imagine. One of the real dangers, Gib, in life devolving to an infinite to-do list is right. that lovemaking comes at the end of it when people right. are exhausted and tired, right. you know, and, and they rarely really talk about their sex life, especially American couples are very uncomfortable um, talking about it. But, but researchers found that. I imagine the French are a little bit better about it. I don't, I don't know why. That just yeah, seems like right. a stereotype and, that fits. Yeah. And, you know, have, have it be something fun. Have there be novelty, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes even just getting away, um, to a hotel that's a mile away from your house yeah. and having an overnight can just rekindle romance and, you know, turning off the cell phone and the computer, you know, and all these electronic gadgets and just yeah. kind of, kind of sitting with each other and, and getting literally in touch with one another. Uh, can just rekindle that fire that was there, you know, at the beginning. Have you found, you just brought up gadgets. Have you found that, that the um, pervasiveness of screens in every room of our house at this point uh, is, is interrupting intimacy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we sure have. You know, I mean, when you have folks who were uh, going to bed, they're sitting in bed, uh, next to each other are they snuggling are they talking to one another are they touching no they're touching their tablets Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. so you know um (laughs) i call that interference for sure yeah and it's more so than it was before it's more so than just having the the book by the bedside like this book eight dates you know which is a fine thing to keep by your bedside but the the screens are they're just more interactive immersive and they're and they're incongruous to the kind of intimacy that you're talking about yeah, the, the the screens are designed really uh, almost ar- almost architected to mm-hmm. create distraction, so that people jump from one thing to another, and you know, and it it doesn't create a mind that is calm and focused, and especially one that is 
available for romantic connection. So assuming that that this that this hypothetical couple, the one that is listening right now and is going to be doing date number three about uh, about intimacy and, and sex, what uh, assume that they're comfortable with the idea of it. Uh, what are what are some like basic ground rules for couples as they approach? Well, you know, there's a wonderful study done, probably the biggest study on on romance and sex, uh, having couples, 70,000 couples from 24 countries. You know, and they asked really a very simple question. What is it that makes for a great sex life? And, you know, they divided their huge sample into people who said their sex life really wasn't very good. And people said it was really, you know, fine or even great. And what was the difference between those two groups everywhere around the world? And, you know, we're talking about Italy and England and even parts of New Jersey. (laughs) You know, it's all the same. Yeah, it's really... People who take time to say I love you and really mean it every day. People who take time to give their partner compliments, who talk about what their partner is doing right, who notice their partner, you know, who just every now and then say, you know, how are you doing, baby? How's the world treating you? Who have these romantic dates and you know, do these very simple things. It wasn't really about physical techniques of lovemaking. It was really about emotional connection that made the difference. Right. It right. was true everywhere on the planet. Also, um, you know, per your question, ground rules for approaching this chapter, um, let me suggest a couple of things. One is that it's very important to respect each other's boundaries. Mm-hmm. So if uh, one person is saying, you know, I'd rather not answer that, very good for the other person to say, that's fine, no worries. Uh, as opposed to saying, why not? And right. trying to drill down and convince the other person they should talk more. So that's ground rule number one. Um, another one is uh, suspend any judgment. So, for example, if you end up talking about your sexual fantasies, um, really good idea to not pass any judgment on the other person Uh, whatever they fantasize, everything in sex other than really destroying your partner um, is okay. It's on the table. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's loving. It's wonderful. Uh, It's another way, another incredible human creative way of expressing your love, affection, your excitement, uh, enthusiasm, for being together with this person. Yeah. So no judgment allowed. That's important. I feel like I feel like that's easier said than done, but I feel like that's foundational and very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. So you so date number one, signs of trust and commitment. Date number two, how you deal with conflict. Date number three, sex intimacy. Date number four, now you've alluded this to this a little bit, and this is uh, often cited as the number one reason for divorce and breakup. Work and money. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, what what we have seen is that there's much more variation uh, in how people deal with work and money today than there ever has been. And part right. of that is because of uh, the women's liberation movement that started back in the 70s, where women really went back into the workforce uh, and spread their wings. They could really build careers, mm-hmm. and they are doing so today. 
And so work and money is really addressing the issues that can come up when people have different attitudes about providing uh, for the family, um, how much money is enough money, who brings in the money, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of work is okay work, Uh, is it okay for, for example, in a heterosexual couple, for the man to not work at all, but to stay home and take care of the home and kids. Mm -hmm. So um, attitudes, philosophies, beliefs about work and money and what money means to you, why it's important to you or not so important to you, Mm -hmm. are really fundamental in this chapter. Yeah, what's enough? Yeah, when do you you need to stop striving and focus on on, yeah, on right. making the house, uh, making a home a place of, of love and reception as opposed to being right. out working all the time. Yeah, and, and work at money often gets at issues that um, have to do with respect. Mm. And so, you know, what exactly do you need in terms of money? What do you need in terms of really respecting one another and, and having a sense that your family is moving forward in mm-hmm. a way that feels... Um, really positive and, and, you know, constructive and optimistic. So it's sort of a sense of self-respect, but respecting one another as well. Right. You always get into questions of power when you're talking about work and money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that's an interesting, that's an interesting context or a subtext for, for what's actually going on when you talk about money. And I think, I think that's right. a, a lot of times, like you said this before, it's about what money means. It's right. uh, after, once you get past that, it's just arithmetic. But yeah. the but it's uncorking that bottle of repressed emotions about what emo- money actually means. That that's where the the drama comes from. Yeah, I you know I remember this one couple that I worked with, uh, and it was so interesting. Uh, it turned out they they met in college, and each of them had come from families where where their fathers were dreamers, mm. but very unsuccessful economically. Yeah, <laughs> so they came from this legacy of economic failure. Even though they, you know, they were one of the first members of their family to go to college and be successful. And in working with them in therapy, um, the wife got this idea of creating a family crest. And they actually created a real one that they put over, over their fireplace. And, uh, and it had elements of what they wanted money to mean, mm. what they wanted success to mean. And they had so much fun doing this, but it was also you know, not just fun, but it was really very deep that they created a new legacy for their children and their family that changed the story of their family's history with economic failure. And I think that's so unbelievably important because what even you're talking about the meaning of money, and we and right. money has all of this context that we that we drag with it for what for whatever reason, whether it's our right. bringing it. But you're talking about using money as the as the structure on which you build your own family value system that that takes into account your historical value, your historical value systems, the the ones from which you come, but also it also use it in order to create and put a quantitative element for what your your family, your as a couple, you know, you, you form a family, what that value system will be. Exactly. Um, yeah. That goes beyond right. just the, the the arithmetic, right? 
Right, exactly. So true. I, I just have another story to add about that. Um, John, you reminded me of it with your couple. I had a couple where uh, the guy was uh, the son of a Jewish Holocaust survivor. Okay. Uh, and they had migrated eventually uh, to the United States and were very, very poor in this country uh, until his father really developed a business and started the business. This guy grew up very successfully, um, educationally and developed a tech company and retired very young, Mm -hmm. very, very successful, made a huge amount of money. Um, he married a woman who already had been very successful in the tech world, had her own money and so on. So, uh, these guys were uh, very, very successful. Well healed, so to speak. Well healed, indeed. Though in Seattle, that means wearing, you know, REI clothes and L.L. Bean and stuff. Patagonia, but, Patagonia. Patagonia. That's, Patagonia. Oh, okay. That's the Gucci of Seattle. <laughs> That's right. Okay, that's it. Um, but what they did with their children was such a beautiful thing. They would take their kids to countries, third world countries every year and take their kids right into the heart of poverty mm. and walk amongst the impoverished in every single trip they took so that their kids grew up with this legacy of realizing that even though the kids were blessed with every advantage you could have in this country, there were millions, billions of people who were totally disadvantaged and needed love and help and support. And so by the time the kids were in high school, each kid had a trust fund uh, in which Uh, The parents really wanted them, and they followed through with this, to give away half of it. Wow. And the kids did, choosing which um, group, organization, country, NGO they would give their money to. It was such a beautiful thing. So those legacies that we grew up with are crucial, and that's part of this chapter, too, what we do with money when we're as successful as that too. And that is, I mean, that is, that is probably the most beautiful picture of a, of a family dealing with their value system. And I I hear about that with, um, with Warren Buffett too. His, his line is, I want to, I want to give my kids enough money that they feel like they can do anything, but not so much that they feel like they can, they can do nothing. Yes. perfect. And I, and and it's such a beautiful picture of, of how to, how to treat money and, and pass that value down. Um, I do. I want to keep moving through this. So, I, so that was date number four is money. So we got lean on me, trust and commitment, the dealing with conflict, sex and intimacy, dealing with money. Date number five is is room to grow. It's 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 family. Yeah, it's really about family. So you know, and you know, what is a family, and why do we build a family? Mm. And two people can be a family. Yeah, two people and their value system can be a family, and you know, it can be about connecting to community, or it can be really about uh, either having or adopting children and raising the same child together. And there, you know, once you talk about children and family, you come directly in contact with your values right. and your history right. and your your culture, your legacy. You know, what? who are you really and who do you want your kids to be? And so this is a very rich date. This, this 
turns out to really ask questions about, well, what was it like for you growing up? Mm-hmm. What, what did you love about it? What did you hate about it? <laughs> uh, you know, how do you, how do you get the buck to stop here if there has been some dysfunction in your family's growing up? So wonderful date, this state about family. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, also, you know, this, this in some ways is, is a very pivotal uh, date because, especially for folks who haven't known each other very long, uh, this is the one where one of those make it or break it uh, issues comes up. Do you want right. to have kids or right. do you not? Uh, and uh, with answering that question, if you're on opposite sides of the fence regarding it, you can move on uh, into different relationships, but knowing why. Uh, and again, suspending judgment uh, because each person has the right uh, to uh, dream what they want in terms of what family can mean for them. Right. Uh, and if it's the opposite in that case, so be it. Now, do you think, uh, I, I know for some people, I, I, this, this can be so touchy because, because you, let's say you have, you're somebody that wants to have kids and your partner doesn't, and is and maybe that's a make or break issue for you, but you're willing to forego it because of the partner. Do you think that people should? Is there ever an instance where you should opt to not have kids even if you want them just because because you care about the relationship so much or is should it just be a deal breaker for people depends on how much you want them hmm. you know if you want them with every atom in your being <laughs> well yeah uh, and everywhere you go uh, you immediately zero in on all of the short people around you <laughs> um it's probably not a great idea. You're probably going to end up resenting your partner yeah. over time because they have withheld from you the dream that you harbor about having children. On the other hand, if it's something that, yeah, you think it'd be really great, but you can also imagine having a very romantic life without children with this partner, and it's not as important to you. It's something you would like. It would be great, but not crucial, not essential, then maybe it would be okay. Mm. Gib, I want to say something about this date because uh, a lot of the couples that uh, were in our 300-couple sample uh, on this date really talked about uh, wounds that they had suffered in their families growing up, Um, you know, baggage that they brought to the relationship because of um, their families just not being very functional. And, you know, like people, a lot of times in our lab, when we ask people, how did your parents show show you that they were proud of you? People start weeping because they never did. Their parents yeah. never did, you yeah. know, and or sometimes, you know, even they felt denigrated by their parents, not even, you know. So people's relationship with feeling proud of yourself or thinking that you're attractive or beautiful sometimes there are wounds in in that primary family growing up that this relationship can start to heal and so this date turns out to be an opportunity for a lot of people to talk about those wounds and how to really make this family different yeah i mean and 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 again like i, I this to me is just another another pillar in building this temple of what your 
values as a couple are going to be and then and, exactly. and and as a corollary your values as a family are going to be like that right it's just another way that we, you can drive a stake in the ground and say here's where we meet as opposed right. to here's where we we differ from from where we come from so we got we got trust and commitment signs dealing with conflict sex and intimacy money the decision to have a family to expand your family or not by adding by adding children or pets or, or what have you uh date right. number six is play with me fun and adventure Right. <laughs> right. This is this is one of my favorite dates. So, I mean, um, already it's one of mine, just, uh, just on, <laughs> on principle. No, really? Good. Um, so fun and adventure is really an interesting one. Um, John and I love this date because we are complete opposites when it mm. comes to fun and adventure. So for John, um, fun and adventure means sitting in his red chair in the living room in front of the fire reading physics. Oh, nice. Or a, or a 500-page book on mathematics and statistics, which uh -huh. I recently read. And then trying to talk about that with his wife, who yeah. <laughs> blazes over. Mm -hmm. My uh, fun and adventure is taking 10 women to base camp of Mount Everest or crossing the Drake Passage to go to Antarctica. Uh, both of which I've done and both of which John has not. And so, uh, <laughs> so how is that a good date? Hey, there you go. So we're so, very different. We're so different. We are so completely, totally different. But the wonderful thing you see about each of these dates is that you can be totally different. That is okay. That is fine. Yeah. And then you find places where you intersect. For example, John and I intersect in a kayak, so we both love to kayak. John is very comfortable on the water. He loves to kayak. I love to kayak. So there you go. We find our place where we can have fun and adventure together, even though we're so different. And this date really helps couples do that. Yeah, and I can, I can learn how to appreciate Julie's sense of adventure. So, you know, she's the kind of person who in college, she was on the ski team and went slaloming down, you know, on that white stuff, 50 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. For me, you know, I can easily ten, tell you 10 ways you can die at a picnic. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm not very adventurous, adventuresome. So, but then. But he's know, so cute, though. <laughs> Julie and I recently, you know, took a trip to the Galapagos. It was a total Julie trip. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time on the boat reading mystery stories <laughs> while she explored and hiked on rocks. <laughs> but it worked but for I you too. Get him into the water. I got him into the water like twice. It was right. excellent. All right, but so you guys, you you guys have these divergent, uh, these divergent notions of adventure or divergent notions of a of a good time, right. uh, and you found you found your your overlap. I get that. Do you have any tips for people to be able to find that overlap? Because a lot of people enter into that very defeatist. Like, well, I'm going to be doing teach teach Itza. I can't pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> and and you're going to be, uh, you know, taking a building a ham radio from scratch. This is not going to work. How do you find that overlap? What what's what's the quickest way to that endpoint? Well, you know, one of the things I think gives is it, it it's not necessary, you know, to necessarily you know be the same. Um, but it is important, like it was very important for me to understand what Everett, going to Everest meant to Julie, what going to Nepal meant to Julie, what, what it meant to, you know, why did she spend two years in a Buddhist monastery after college? 
What did Buddhism mean to her? Mm. You know, and uh, what did mountains mean to her? So, you know, I got to appreciate her view of nature, her view of going to Nepal. And it, that allowed me to really expand my view because I grew up in New York City. For me, nature was taking a subway to Central Park. There you and, go. Spreading a blanket and having yeah. a picnic and then wiping the nature off before you went inside. <laughs> so, I didn't have very much appreciation right. for nature, but Julie really expanded my horizons about it. And so, so I could, you know, I could really grow in a way from the differences mm -hmm. that we had. And, you know, and Julie really likes research as well. So we can collaborate on research and bring her strengths into the research methods as well as my you know, more dry mathematical inclinations. So I hear you say that basically, if you work, more important than you getting joy out of going to Everest is you appreciating your wife's joy in going to yeah, Everest. Right. Yeah, I have a photograph of her on the top of uh, Mount Kalapatar at 18,600 feet. And she looks happier than I've ever seen her. Uh -huh. So I have, have that photograph over my desk. And that I makes, look at it every now and then. Yeah. That makes for better Instagram than sitting in a red chair reading a book. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> That's really true. Actually, I wasn't just really smiling and happy. I was oxygen deprived. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, nothing like a little oxygen deprivation to really get your blood going. Uh, and, right. Okay, so geez, we got trust, <laughs> trust and commitment signs, dealing with conflict, sex and intimacy, work and money, family, fun and adventure. Date number seven. We're almost done here something to believe in, getting on the same page when it comes to, to spirituality and, and, and personal growth. Right. So this one is really a very meaningful one, as you can imagine. Um, and again, here's one that demonstrates you don't have to be identical. You don't have to belong to the same church or synagogue or mosque or monastery. Uh, you can really have your own belief system and very important in the state is respecting each other's right to connect with the cosmos, connect with the universe, connect with the greater being uh, in any way that that individual finds to be home for them. Yeah, it could even be about ethics, even if you don't believe in a God or, you know, a life after death that can be about, you know, values and morals and what you believe is is good and right. And here's a chance for people to think about their beliefs about what is sacred, what is really right. special and important right. in the world. Right. And and this is this is an example too of you know when you share your perceptions about these things, your ideas. Um, you really enrich each other because you are looking through the eyes of another person at some of the most meaningful, deeper parts of being alive. Mm -hmm. So you not only have your own belief system, but you are seeking to understand your partners. And in doing so, it broadens your own horizon. Yeah. And again, again, uh, it's about it's about building that stake of where your where your overlapping values really lie. You know, right. and, and and determining what it is for you as a couple. I mean, that's to me. That's uh, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to do this before we get to the eighth date. Nor do I want to do this for you. But I feel like the big theme out of this is that these are eight conversations that get you to a place where you find what your shared value structure is, what your shared worldview is, so that you right. can begin to see the world through a lens of of us instead of a lens of I. 
and and because you know what that lens really is. Yeah, and I think all the dates really uh, just kindle curiosity so that you yeah. keep being curious about your partner mm. as we grow and change over time. Yeah. All right, eighth date. Dreams. The eighth date is about dreams. And, you know, what are your life dreams? I mean, what? Who are you? How do you want to be remembered when you're gone? So this chapter uh, is really a beautiful one, too, because it opens up the imagination. So, you know, many of us tend to be uh, we can be skeptical or cynical. We can say, nah, that's never going to happen. We're never going to have the government we want, for example. Um, But this allows each person to really share dreams that may be very private or maybe they haven't even allowed themselves to contemplate. What would you really want your life to be five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? What would be your ideal vision of home, uh, of adventure? So dreaming means just unfettered letting your emotion your emotion and your imagination soar uh and sharing what you find in that imagination of yours with your partner one of the things that i really think is so interesting is the story about alfred nobel you know the guy who created all the nobel prizes and invented dynamite and invented dynamite so you know he had this experience all the money for the nobel prize came from his uh patents on on explosives Mm -hmm. and so when his brother died in 1888 a french newspaper made a mistake and they thought he died so alfred nobel got to read his obituary and they said the merchant of death is dead you know and they they thought it was great that he had died they thought he was a horrible human being wow and alfred nobel freaked out and he created the nobel prizes so that's how we remember him so that's 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 a great story I mean, yeah, I, you're, I but the, and you're absolutely right because for most people, the fact that he made his money uh, from selling explosives was, is 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 like a piece of trivial information. And all, it's you know right. the guy from the prizes, he made his money with dynamite. That is the, <laughs> that's the but so he really flipped the script with that. That's incredible. Right, that's right, and you know, and we have the chance uh, a lot of times, and this date in a way gives us a chance to hit the reset button. Uh, a lot of people don't think about the purpose of their life. But here's this uh, date that allows you to really take a look at yourself and and lead the examined life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also course correct. If your life <laughs> is not headed to where you want it to be. I mean, that's 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 the point of examining. Right. Is is right. to allow for course correction, because it, it's there's no point in looking at your life and be like, wow, man, my life is really terrible. So I'm just going to sit here and keep eating bonbons on the couch. Like the whole point is that, is that it gives you an opportunity to make it into what you want it to be. And, and you need to see where you want to go in order to get where you want to be. That's wonderful. That's though. right. And it also creates hope. Yeah, We're ending, point, you know, our book with hope Yeah, that even though your life may be full of hardship, may be full of obstacles and so on, you still have your mind, your heart, yeah. your partner, you still have your imagination. You can still have your dreams and right. see what little baby steps can you take to start moving towards that dream. 
Maybe your relationship isn't where you want it to be right now. Maybe your relationship is is hurting, but it's still but it's still you still value it. And maybe all seven dates up until this point have led you to a place of, of almost despair of feeling like, wow, it's really not where I want it to be. But the eighth date will get you to that place where you can say, Okay, it may not be what I want it to be right now, but at least I know where it where it could be and where we need to be headed. That yeah, too. That's right. That too. So, you know, if I can understand Julie's dreams, even if they're not mine, mm-hmm. it brings us closer together and I can be her ally right. and her working toward her dreams. I think we've established how disparate those dreams are, John. Right. <laughs> That's really true. And if I can um, actually uh, at least contribute to John's dream by lifting one of his physics book, <laughs> let alone opening the thing and trying to read it and hand it to him, I'm doing my part. <laughs> just, just go go buy him and get, get him a, an audible.com subscription and get <laughs> so oh, can, that's right. it. Very smart. Yeah. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah. Okay, so so those are the eight dates. They are incredible, and and for me again, like what what I find most inspiring about them is it cr- helps you create that that coordinated worldview. What was your what was your big takeaway in like you know in 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 doing the research you had to do for this? How what was your biggest aha moment in this process? For me, it was really how powerful that first date was. It mm. kind of ripping open, you know, the separation and loneliness that a lot of couples wind up having yeah. with one another, you know, and really saying to one another, look, here's what I need to really trust you. Here's what I need to believe in us. Yeah. And that was very powerful. That that really surprised me. Mm. What about you, Julie? Yeah. Um, I have been seeing couples uh, in therapy and in workshops and so on for, you know, 25, 30 years. Uh, And I have seen so many couples who wait, uh, who have been together, as John put it, on these parallel tracks Mm -hmm. for maybe 20 years, not not having any conversation with each other. And if only they'd had this book early, Mm. if only they had learned that they could have these conversations and how good these conversations felt so that having them would feel reinforced for them and they would do so more often, then they wouldn't have ended up on opposite sides of the world right which is how it feels all alone yeah so um we just desperately wanted to get this book out there you know as soon as we could to help couples come together learn that they can talk to one another learn that they can connect with one another at a much deeper level and give them the tools to do so that's what this book is about yeah it really feels like you've ordered the dates in a way that gets you from what are our basic assumptions about where we come from to uh, to finally getting you to the place where 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 are we going together and it really exactly. seems like it funnels you into that future look right right that's exactly right that was our plan yeah. <laughs> Good. Good not... job, Gil. Thank you, you got it. You got uh, it. Thank you. Before I let you go, I want to, you. You guys do a lot of research at the Love Lab. It is. It is your. Is your. 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 Well, why don't you tell us what the what the Love Lab is? 
Okay, so the Love Lab uh, has been going on for about 45 years now, long, long time, uh, but we finally brought it into the Gottman Institute, and at the Love Lab, uh, we can do research uh, with couples to learn again more and more about what couples need and how to help heal distressed couples. But in addition, if couples want uh, just information about how their relationship is doing um, and perhaps where to go from here, they can also come to the Love Lab for that uh, and be evaluated with all the kind of leading edge research methods that we've developed and to learn more about that or to learn more about everything we do, uh, folks can go to www.gottman.com. And, and how about social if they want to follow up with you anywhere else? Uh, if they want to follow up with us anywhere else, uh, just Gottman.com or, or, or yeah. they can just go it's to Gottman.com. Oh, Everything okay. is there. Awesome. And a lot is available for, for free. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, if you go to the app store and type in Gottman card decks, C-A-R-D card decks, you get a dozen card decks for free that, allow you to ask open-ended questions that are greater on any date that allow you to talk about what your needs are. There's mm. a card deck for that. So it makes it fun to do things that really bring the relationship closer. And that's available completely for free on the app store. That's, that's phenomenal. Go ahead, Julie. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I think our, our goal, Gib, and it has been for quite some time, uh, is to, just give people the tools. You know, nobody took relationships 101 in high school, right? right. And so uh, through the books and the workshops and everything else we do, um, we are just trying to bring a little bit more love in the world. Mm -hmm. And we right. really need that these days, do we not? Right. So um, we really want to thank you, Gib, for uh, this opportunity uh, to be able to talk about the book, to talk to you uh, about some of the ideas there, and you're supporting that bringing love back into the world. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gib. Well, it's my pleasure, and I've really appreciated your time today. One last thing, I ask it to everybody, and it can be about relationships. What is one key habit that you think every single person should be doing right now in order to make their life better? Listen. 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 Listen with empathy. That's right. what I would say. Right, John? Well, you know, my big problem is uh, being defensive. So when, to me, the, most, the four most terrifying words in the English language are when Julie says, we need to talk. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I carry a little notebook in my back pocket and, you know, and I try to get over myself. And I, you know, gulp a few times and then I say, okay, baby, I'm taking notes. You look <laughs> like you're really upset. Uh, what are you feeling and what do you need? And what happens then is I have to be really careful because I realize he's taking notes and he may <laughs> include what I say in the next book. So I've got to be careful. Well, you could go full on Nixon and just get, you know, have an automated recording <laughs> set up in your house. <laughs> right. Oh, no. But it just sounds like a different permutation of listen. It sounds like ultimately right. the advice is the same. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. John and Julie Gottman are my guests today. The book, Eight Dates, available wherever books are sold. I'm also going to put links to it 
in the show notes so you guys can take a look at that. Thank you guys so much for your time. This was really Thank incredible. You, Thank Bye. you, Gib. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do like Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a big difference for us. Please also share it with a friend. If you could just tell one person that needs to hear this kind of information, it could make a big difference in their life and make a big difference for us. If you want to follow up, we spend a lot of time at facebook.com slash John Tesh. We post videos there. We have discussions. We get in the comment section. We do Facebook Lives where we answer your questions. That's a phenomenal place. If you want to follow up with John in general, at uh, John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram. I am Gib Gerard. Thank you guys again for listening. Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Again, appreciate you guys so much more than you know. Links to all the information that you need in the show notes. And uh, have a great week, everybody. Everybody.